All right, this morning I'm just going to read very briefly from Genesis 3, Genesis the third chapter, and then I'm going to go to uh, Galatians the first chapter. Okay. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And then he said unto the woman, Yea, he's getting her attention, as God said, You will not eat of every tree. Will you not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice when we said, excuse me, before, that word subtle, again, it is from um, the Hebrew word aram. And, and it's very interesting, in this particular case right here, it is a passive participle. And we need to understand that. So when we're passive, means we, what can we do? We still have a free will, but we're not doing anything. But when we're passive, and it's not grace, and it's not Christ, in comes the enemy. And so, again, that word, arom, or a room is a passive a participle, and it, it means to be made bare. So what the enemy was doing with Eve and what he wants to do to us is by sight, when we're passive, we walk by sight, everything looks bare. Everything looks bare. And so, <clears throat> but that, that word is only in the derivative sense. And what does that mean? You have to derive, you're going to derive it. So when we're passive, we're going to derive something from somewhere. And so, in the derivative sense, it's, it's when we're passive and it's not grace and it's not truth and it's not Christ, then what is it? It's very smooth. We have the enemy. He's very smooth and he's very cunning. And so, even when we get to, and we talked about the type, uh, we can see in the first and second chapters of Genesis that when he said, man, I created man, in my image, he took, he took, he said, let us make man in our image. And when he said that, he saw Adam and Eve as one because she was in him. <laughs> and that's a beautiful truth when we can understand it because that just makes it very, very clear that for us in Christ, okay, those truly that were in Christ, he's never seen us outside of his son. And we're going to see how important that is Uh, this morning because there's two truths that God was revealing uh, to me this morning, I believe, and and of course it's for all of us. It's the truth about revelation and promise. Those two words we want to, God wants us to focus on. Because when we don't have revelation and promise and and we're passive, in comes the subtlety of the enemy. And because he's very, very cunning, he's very crafty, he's very sneaky, and he comes in in the most unexpected ways. Two things can happen to us in, in a very, in one is a very negative way, one's a very positive way. Two things can happen to us, okay, if when we're passive and it's not grace, then it's, we don't function, and this is a reality of unexpected grace. 
do we deserve it? You know, do we, we're looking at things a certain way, and then all of a sudden we get this grace, and it settles us. <laughs> but in the other sense, the enemy comes in, and the negative unexpected is the subtlety that he has. And that's when he's, uh, when the Holy Spirit began to speak. He was speaking in 2 Corinthians 11.3. Remember, it says, uh, Paul, through, and it was the Holy Spirit saying through him, I fear, lest by any means of subtlety the enemy will, will remove you from Christ. And he, can't, he can only do that in our experience, can't in our position. But that's what he was saying. And, and again, let me just read it here so that we can have um, a, a beautiful uh, understanding together. But when we look at this, it's the same thing, and his pl- he, can't, he hasn't changed. You know, Satan hasn't changed. His evil hasn't changed. It's only grown more intense. It's only grown way more intense. That's why, you know, two things, two things in the believer don't change. It's the flesh, right? And it's Christ. And, and both, both don't change, yet both increase. <laughs> oh, boy. And you can even see the increase. My gosh, you know. And by the time you get to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13, you see evil men, even it says they wax worse and worse. <laughs> so two things in us don't change. Okay? And it, who we are in Christ, and that, that's the unexpected grace that constantly comes in. And when my will isn't given over, I'm just in a passive state. And, it's, and that doesn't happen, and he's teaching us that, then the unexpected subtlety of the enemy comes in. <laughs> and, uh, of course, and then the unexpected subtlety of the enemy is look at things by sight. <laughs> and by sight simply means it's if I, have, if I have wrong sight, it's because I have wrong thoughts. And when those thoughts are wrong, then it's the emotions, and the emotions become our reality. How we feel. Oh, God. And that's why, we, why the Holy Spirit through Paul was saying this in 2 Corinthians eleven three. but I fear, lest by what? Any means. Any means. You know how many means that enemy has? <laughs> to unexpectedly trip us up with his subtlety, Oh, boy, it's more than we can even imagine. Lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. And simplicity, what does that always have to do with? It's just simple obedience. And and obedience is not hard. The enemy wants to make us think so, but it's not. It's not hard to submit to Christ. It's really not hard. It's the resistance. It's the lie against the truth that's that's very, very difficult, that makes it difficult, and is the distraction and the disturbance that keeps us from instant obedience. Uh, And so the subtlety here in 2 Corinthians 11.3, we said recently was Panagoras or Panagos. It's all working. In other words, he's always working. Now, listen, God allows it. God allows it because even in that, and even when the enemy trips us up, 
Okay. And the enemy is all working, always working, always projecting imaginations against faith. Always projecting imaginations against absolute, complete, total dependence upon God, upon the revelation of his promise. You know, God reveals things to us, and every single thing that he does is based upon promise. It is. So in Titus 1-2, in Hebrews 6-18, and in Numbers 23, verse 19, can God lie? Everything he's revealing to us, even this, he's revealing to us this morning. See, this is how the enemy comes against us. This is who you are. This is what he comes against. He, can, he only comes against us. You know, he does. He only comes against us because we are in Christ. <laughs> that he can't change. But boy, does he want to change the present experience. He just does. And so he's always working, he's always shrewd, he's crafty. And then all forms, and we know this, all forms, and what does a form have to do with? Has to do with a thought. Has to do with a will. Has to do with a thought. And has to do with a function. A form. But all forms, all those, and, and that's what that word comes from, the first part of uh, Panergos, is from P-A-S, pos, pos, all forms of declension. That's what it's saying. All forms of what? Declension. Get us away. Get us away gradually. Right? And, what, and a little leaven in our thoughts does what? Changes the whole view. Changes the whole view. We start functioning experientially under a lie. And thank God, obviously, he never in Hebrews 13, 5, ever leaves us nor forsakes us. And he'll never fail us in Joshua 1.5. He just won't. And he's not going to do that. But all, all passes all, every, it's the whole. It's to get the whole mind away from Christ. And, and when, it, when we do, what do we do? When our thoughts aren't God's thoughts. And what are God's thoughts based upon? Revelation and promise. They don't change. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord your God. I change not. Now, Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Listen, do our, even good emotions at times, not submitted to Christ, can they lie? Yeah. yeah. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the Son of Man, that's always referring to Christ. Even there in Numbers 23, 19. Okay, so God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he should ever what? Change his mind. That's what the word repente means, change his mind. He does not change his mind. The revelation and the promise are secure. Okay, they don't change. Nothing changes about who we are in Christ because it was made based upon revelation, and, and if there's anything that God is revealing to us, what's it based upon? A promise. <laughs> A promise. Who keeps the promises? Christ does. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus in 2 Corinthians 1.20 are what? Yeah, yes, and settled, amen, settled. 
settled. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are settled. Is it any wonder that when we were accepted in Ephesians 1.6, we were accepted in Him who is the revelation of the promise. <laughs> Everything about us is secure. But the enemy, oh boy, come in and mm. just think about our thoughts throughout the day. How we can go back and forth. Fear. Oh, no. No fear. And, but, but when my thoughts aren't his, based upon a proper revelation, based upon a promise, then what do I begin to do with my thoughts? Why does he project these imaginations against faith in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6? Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, through revelation, through promise, through he who never changes. But they're mighty through God to the what? Pulling down of what? Strongholds. Casting down what? False images, imaginations. Casting it down. And in this particular place, in this case, what is it? What is it when we don't think with God? What do our thoughts do? Instantly we start working, toiling, <laughs> stressing, straining. <laughs> and that's the other part of the word is ergon, E-R-G-O-N, of that what makes up panergos. So he gets us away from the uh, proper growing in grace revelation based upon promise, something that never changes. And, but he gets us away, and when he gets us away from that, the subtlety of the enemy, then we begin to work. We begin to toil. And ergon, it means to work, to toil, as an effort and an occupation. And when Christ is not my ex expectation, in Psalm 62, 5, when he's not my occupation, in Luke 19, verse 13, when that's, I begin working. We can even see it, even, even in the Psalms. The Psalms, of course, the positive Psalms, there's a lot of negative things, okay? But all the Psalms were written in the Spirit of Christ. Because after all, isn't he the Word? In John 1, 1. And so in Psalm 62, 5, it says this, My soul what? And of course, we all like to do that, right? My soul Wait. My soul, wait. And wait is synonymous with the word trust. And the word trust is synonymous with the word proper worship. That's right. And we can't serve. And in Matthew 6, verse 24, it says, it's a, no man can serve two masters. Really, what it's saying is no man can worship. Because that's what God designed us for. But he gave us the means and the substance to even do it. And all we have to do is just, just submit our will. And, and that obedience, again, is that love that loved us first. In 1 John 4.10 and 1 John 4.19, we receive it. Now we have the means to love him back and have this fellowship. And that's what fellowship is. And, but in Psalm 62.5, my soul, wait you upon who? Who are we looking at? Listen, are we looking at others? Are we? Because then if we are, we've been distracted. 
in Hebrews 12, 2, looking away from all that would distract unto who? Unto Jesus. He's the author. He's the leader of your absolute dependence in Hebrews 12, 2. So my soul wait you upon, upon God because from him comes my what? My expectation. You, you remember those things that we said, if you, if you want to be uh, discouraged, mm-hmm. you look to others. Because they can't do for you what only God has already done. <laughs> oh, Lord, I'm laughing because, I, boy, it's my constant lesson. Um, and so discouragement is you look into others, and when they can't fulfill it, you become discontented, right? And then you just look within. Now, where do I go now? I got to look in. Now, what do I find? Oh, boy. Every reason why to be disappointed. Because <laughs> I'm looking away from the treasure that's right in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Because my expectation comes from him. And when he's my constant expectation through constant dependence then I will trust in him whenever I feel like it. Literally, whenever my thoughts are all lined up. No, at all times. At all times I can fall on him. That's what faith means, you know. Faith doesn't mean I have to feel just right before I do it. Sometimes, and that's the subtlety of the lie. No, you've got to get your feelings right first. You have to get your thoughts and your feelings right first before you go to him. No, it doesn't say that. No. It says in James 4, verse 8, draw near to God. That's all it says. And then result, he'll draw near to you. Then you cleanse your hands, you sinners, and then you purify your minds. You what? You're double-minded. You're confused. You're back and forth. (laughs) He's not the author of that in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. He's the author of a revelation and a promise that gives us an order and a foundation to build ourselves up on in 1 Corinthians 14, 40. So he gets us, he wants to get us through a subtlety to toil, to effort, and our whole, we think that's the normal Christian life. He convinces us somehow that that's it. It's just a constant struggle. Christianity is a constant struggle. No, it's not. It's finished in John 19.30. Everything about me is done already. Now he's working that in, into my experience because he's not only teaching me. See, my life and your life, it's not just about us. It isn't. It is in, in terms of experience, right? To function properly in, in, a, in a body, in a local assembly, yes, But it's far more than that. It's all about an angelic conflict. (laughs) That's why even in 1 Peter 1.12, the angels, they bend low and they look in. They look into our, we're being watched. Can't see it, so it must not be real, right? Because reality is only what I see. And what I see, if it's not of God, gives me these feelings. And that becomes my reality. And then it causes me to work. And I have a whole occupation in these thoughts. But you know, there is a rest which does work. (laughs) And of course, that place is in Zephaniah 3, verse 17. He rests in his love. Really, he rests in 
the son of his love. Yeah? That embrace. And the picture there in the embrace in John 1 verse 1 where it says that word with is pros. It's an embrace that nothing can disturb or distract. Listen, God planned all. Did he see all this happen? An angelic conflict? One third of angels going away? A whole a whole host, a third of a host of innumerable angels were going to go against him. Did he know all that before he created them? Did it disturb him? Did it distract him? He knew a whole race, a whole race, the difference between a, a host and a race. He created the angels all at once. We procreate, you know, and, and uh, a whole race of humans were going to fall. Did it disturb him or distract him? No, because everything about him was between the Father and the Son who would come out from him and put on humanity. Dealing with a whole angelic conflict. He never had another plan to deal with that conflict other than to take on humanity. My God. What an identity. I mean, how much does God love man? How much does he love us? It's just incredible when we think about it but there's a rest and it does work and unfortunately when you get into James especially when you get into James the second chapter when you look at James 2 17 20 and 26 some separate the revelation and promise of what does work and makes it the occupation of works in a fleshly manner so that you can prove faith when it was already established in the mind of God in eternity before he had ever created anything. See, he never thought about anything, anything or any one of us outside the love of his son. That's why the works were finished from the foundation of the earth in Hebrews 4 verse 3. That's why, again, it was his son in in Revelations 13 verse 8. The lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. You know what that means? It's before time. That's what that verse is saying in Hebrews 13, 8. The lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Okay, because that was time. That was the beginning of time in Genesis, the first chapter. Beginning of it. And it started in, in, the, in the second verse. Because there was an eternal reality that God created. And of course, he would, does God create things? and not have a purpose? Would he create things form and chaotic? Because that's what you get by the time you get in that. And that was revealing an angelic conflict in those first two verses. And an intense, something intense happened. Do you ever feel like that? You get these feelings, see? These feelings, this intensity, you can't even identify it but it's an intensity. That's, that, uh, that's the angelic conflict. But thank God for us in Christ, the battle is the Lord's. It is no question about it. And it's it, this intensity uh, through this subtlety of this spiritual warfare wants to take us away from experiential rest and get occupied. <laughs> We're on our way to heaven. Nothing can stop that. Nothing. It's done. It's finished. We have an eternal destiny that we're headed to. I mean, could, any, could the enemy and everything that he tried with Christ and his humanity when he walked the face of the earth, could he stop it? 
No. No. Because the last time I checked, when God begins something, he finishes it. And it's based upon the fact that it's finished, but it's being worked out in, in a reality. See, the revelation and the truth of the promises of God are constantly, constantly proving the lie. <laughs> He's constantly proving us who we are based upon a revelation and a promise in Christ against the subtlety of a lie. Because the rest that we have is based upon a finished work, no question about it. So we see this, and this is what we see. Satan is constantly, through these projections in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, these projections, he's constantly arguing. He gets us into an argument. That's what he did with Eve. That's what he does with us, experientially. He gets us in an argument. Why, why this? What's going on? What, what do you mean what's going on? The reality is, the reality is God had a plan for us before we were born and it was settled. That's reality. But when we don't function in that, we function in what? We're not settled. We waver. We waver. And that again is Matthew 7, 24 to 27. You build your house on sand and what's this? <laughs> it's constantly changing. Constantly. But upon a rock, it's solid. It's unchangeable. It's immutable. Can't add anything to it. And so he's constantly with us right now. Listen, he has not changed his ways from the garden up to your and my present reality. It's only increasing in evil, literally. And he's constantly arguing against the character of God and the integrity of of God's standard through his word that are revealed. And if you have, if it's revealed, what is that speaking of? Revelation. And every revelation that God has about himself, about his son, about us, about his plan is based upon what? Promise. And God doesn't lie. Man does, but God doesn't. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 116 in verse 11, I said in my haste, all men are liars. But you know what God says to us in Christ? Let God be true in Romans 3 verse 4. In Romans 3 verse 3, should their unbelief make the word of God of none effect? When it's already settled. Should their unbelief make the word of God of none effect? Well, it can be that in your experience, but is that a reality? No, it says God forbid let God be true, and every man uh, a liar. Now, are we a liar in Christ? No, we're not. We're not a liar. So he argues against that, the revealed word of God, what, what God is saying to us right now. This is the revealed world, word of God. It's based upon revelation. It's based upon promise. He promises us, honestly. When you get away from experiencing who you truly are in me, I promise you, you're going to feel all these negative things. But the, only tr the truth is it's not who you are. It isn't. Our life is not based upon one single thought about ourselves. Whoa. It isn't. It isn't. Because what God did in his eternal mind, he did before you and I were in his mind, but before we could even function, it was finished. <laughs> oh, my God. You talk about trusting him, right? 
So it was when Adam fell, right here in the garden, before there was anything of the operation of divine grace in him. In other words, before he could even make a choice about that grace and truth that was Christ that he would eventually say yes to, was already towards him. That's he's waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30, verse 18. It was that, before any of that, it was when he and Eve had completely separated themselves from God. How do we get separated from God in our experience? What's it based upon? A lie. Mm, I don't know if you can trust God for this one. I mean, you, tr- <laughs> you trusted him to, to save you for eternity. Hmm. You, you did. And, and you trusted him in as much as any would ever say, listen, there's only one person that ever went to heaven and came back, and that was the Apostle Paul. You can scrap all the rest of those books and all that, because scripturally, that's it. There are a bunch that went there apart from death, Elijah and Enoch. There's only one that went there and came back, and that's the Apostle Paul, but it was speaking volumes about the truth about who we are in Christ. And we'll get into that at at a different time. But the fact that the matter is, the fact of the matter is, it was before that, they separated themselves. How do we get separated? Through a lie. We've been seduced. We've been seduced. And, you know, again in 1 Timothy 4.1, Some will depart in the latter days. We are in the latter days. All prophecy has been fulfilled. Did you know that? It's just Christ coming back. We have a more sure word of prophecy than 2 Peter 1.19. You know, all the prophecy is fulfilled. It's just Christ coming back. It's already finished in him. He's coming back. All of it's been fulfilled. Every single bit of it. (laughs) What is there left? What is there left? You know what our proper place and position is? Is waiting for him from heaven. That's it. And when that's not it, then things in time and on the earth and what's happening take precedence in my thinking. And it's all based upon a lie. Because listen, everything about this present world system we're in right now is heading to a place where it's never going to exist again. Oh, thank God for that, right? In 1 John 2, verse 17, it's on a collision course with eternity. Time is on a collision course with eternity. And then in Revelations 10, verse 6, time will be no more. We enter into the eternal state in Revelations 22, 11, the fixedness of eternity. That's what he's working in us now, our reality. And preparing us for that. But it was when they were completely separated from God that that mercy entirely irrespective of their condition. Listen, the enemy says you're not in a proper condition right now to go to him. (laughs) Well, when would we ever be when we're not functioning in him experientially? But irrespective of their condition, listen, or their desert, you don't deserve it. You fail. You fail a million times. You keep doing this. And you even, you got to admit it, you hate it, but you still do it anyway. <laughs> See, you don't deserve, you don't deserve to go to him. You don't deserve anything of him. By the way, we're already in him. It's already finished. Okay. And this desert 
in a, in, in a bad condition have anything to do with God's love in terms of changing it in a proper effect, in a proper experience. That doesn't have a thing to do with it. Such a liar. Such a liar. But it was irrespective of their condition and their desert that there was held out, listen to this one, a revelation of grace. A revelation of grace in the person of Christ. You see, every revelation, all it's really just the revelation, by the way. The revelation has to do with the promise, and that is the Christ. <laughs> that's who we're in. And that's who's in us. What? Can, how can that be? Is it true? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. It's incredible when we think about it. Oh, God, we need to wait. I need to wait. I do. I need to wait, you know, because he's teaching me that to wait with him is such an incredible thing. He never tells us to wait alone, ever. He needs to get us alone, see? He needs to get us alone so that we can wait with him alone, really, honestly, and so that we don't depend on another person or another thing, or anything changing, he needs to get us alone. And boy, that's when the enemy, oh, when we get alone, oh boy. Now there's a battle for the mind, for the thoughts, for the emotions. Here comes the lie, and here's the truth, it doesn't move. Here's the lie, always working, subtlety. And here's the human will, choice. What will I do? Will I turn away from reality and turn here? Oh, God. Oh boy, he's waiting to be gracious, Isaiah 30, 18, Isaiah 30, 21. When you turn to the left or turn to the right, you look straight on. You look straight on. Destiny, proper image, reality, we're on our way. Soon we're on our way and uh, to be with him face to face. So, but what is it? What is the crowning experience? What is the crowning experience or experience for us or the experiment of all, what, what is it in us? It's the presence of Christ. How do we try everything properly? Presence of Christ. How do we get there? Submit our will. The presence of Christ, and who is he? Listen to what it says. It's the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. That's the seed of promise. The seed of the woman there in Genesis 3, verse 15. It's Christ. The seed of the woman, right? And what was he? Was he, just, he was the seed of the woman, but what was he? He was the seed of promise, right? That's why when it says in Hebrews 2, verse 16, he took on the seed of Abraham, he who depended on him for everything. That's who he took on. He did not take on the seed of every single human being because if he had, he would have paid for all of their sins. It would only be the way he could take them upon him. But he did bear the, uh, the sins of those on himself that were his, that would choose him and believe. There's no question about it, and we don't need to get into that right now. Um, but that is a reality in the Scriptures. He took on, too, because what came, what answers to all, who answers to all the revelations and promises? Christ. 
the ways of God, the types, the prophecies of God, it was Christ who would come 4,000 years into the future. In Galatians 4, 4. He'd come into the future. He'd have to put on the humanity. I don't even... We just have to trust God for that. How does, how does the Son of God in virtue of who he is in deity and then <laughs> the Son of Man in virtue of him, the head of a whole new race of people, how does he yet never leave the bosom of the Father yet still put on humanity and come in John 1.14? Well, only God could do that. <laughs> just like if you ask and I've, you know, uh, why God? Why create a whole race, a whole a host of angels that are going to rebel against you? Then why create? Why? Is that a proper question? Should we even question the integrity of God? Is His plan in Deuteronomy thirty-two perfect? Is it His way, His plan? Second Samuel twenty-two verse thirty-one, Psalm eighteen thirty. Listen, it's perfect. It's perfect. And it is a mystery of iniquity. God, what, why? It is a mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians 2.7. It is. It's going to be revealed. It's going to be. But the most important thing that he needs to reveal to us is who we are in him, his son, and who we are, who his son is in us. And so that we don't function separated from that. But all that was worthy, all that is worthy of God is only found in his son. Where do I find who I truly am? Where is all my worth? Is it in myself? Is it in my situations? Is it in my circumstances? No. Is it in any of those details of life? Is there any worth in those whatsoever? Those are going to change. They're going to be gone. We're going to be in eternity. Thank God for that. And I do thank Him for that uh, this morning. But by the time here we have this, and the two things we, that God wanted to bring to us this morning was revelation and promise. Right? God is only revealing to us a promise, and that promise is his son, by the way. <laughs> so all the promises of God, all those revelations that were revealing God's unconditional promises is his son, and we're in him. Do we have everything? God gave us the best. He gave us his son. And he did it personally for you and I. He even formed us in our own individuality to fit us for his son to fit in us in the most unique way. That's why we never have to compare ourselves with anyone. Ever. Ever. Because that's the subtlety of a lie. Only you can be who you are in Christ and only Christ can be in you who you are. It's, it's incredible. And now when individuals function like that, it's purely Christ. Now you have fellowship. We're not making any comparisons based upon the lie of the flesh. By the time we get from Genesis 3, now we're going to, and, and how everything is true about us in Christ. Now I'm going to read this. And this is in Galatians, the first chapter. This is the man that God raised up to tell us, to reveal, to have a revelation of the truth of all the promises about who Christ is and who we are in Him. <laughs> God fulfilled everything about you and I in His Son. Everything. 
Now, did he has he taken care of our eternity? Well, we don't want to get into this term quite this morning, but that's Romans 8, verse 32. Having done all, if he's done all these things, will he not freely give us all things? Having done all, that's eternity, will he not in time take care of all those other things that cause us, you know, <laughs> to get away from him in our heartbeat? <laughs> By the time we get there, he, he raised up this guy, Paul. And who was Paul? He was the height of the religious man. One who would think apart from God in the flesh. That's the height. In other words, you, can't buy, you cannot bypass this guy. <laughs> we shared that before. You can't, he was the height of the religious guy. The Bible makes it clear. And, and there were times when I would read 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Boy, remember how we've shared this before? What a humble man Paul was when he wrote about himself. <sighs> you, know, get, you know, I'm not qualified to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Boy, he wrote, no, it was God that wrote that about him. <laughs> but separated, separated from the lie through promise and revelation and promise, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I, here it is, I labored more than they all. Oh, what? Yet, yet not I, but Christ in me. See? And then he would say as he would grow, in his proper experience, proper growth, proper experience, proper revelation, proper unchanging promise based upon truth, and there's no lie involved for each of us individually. Then he would say in Ephesians 3.8, as he's growing, you know what? In, my, in the flesh that I'm not, I'm less than the least of all the saints. How are you going to compare with that? How are you going to compare? Because that's the only place you can do it. You become less. The enemy's convinced you. You're less than somebody else. Huh. You get Christ in you, of course, and he hates you and I far, far more than what we do or what we don't do. Far more than that, he hates the fact that Christ is in us. You know why? Because that so-and-so can't change it. So he lies to us constantly. He lies. So Ephesians 3, 8, I'm less than the least of all the saints. By the time you get to 1 Timothy uh, 1, verse 15, uh, 120, I should say, 1 uh, Timothy 1, 20, what does he say? I am what? I am the chief of what? Sinners. The chief of sinners, okay? That's who we, any of us are outside of Christ. There's what he said. Are we still that? No. Can we function in, the, in that? Yes. But that's what he had to do in him. Because two things he was teaching him. See? Buddy, you're the worst. I think he's got to... I know he does. He has to bring each of us to that proper place. You, you can't get any worse. You can experience it continuously if you want to. In disobedience. Go ahead. But you're, but you're here. You can't get any worse already than what you are. You can function in it. It's not going to change it. It's going to make it worse. You're already that. You're already that. But in Christ, that's a, that two things don't change. The flesh and who we are in Christ. It just doesn't change. So by the time he gets there, this is where we are. 
And I'm just going to read this. And this is in Galatians, the first chapter, in verse 1. Paul, I'm just going to read through this, and then we're going to stop and we'll continue this um, at a different time. Paul, apostle, he's an apostle, special messenger, not from men. Did you hear that one? Not from men. Listen, he's talking about himself. You can blame somebody else. You can blame them all day long. You can, and you will. And it's based upon a lie. Because someone was greater than Christ who made you feel that way and think that way. Okay? Paul, an apostle, not from men. You know what he was saying? Oh, thank you, God. I'm finally separated from that religious nut. God, not from man. You know, some would think, you know, not from them. They hurt me. They blame me. They hurt me. They were not from men. Now it's not what it's saying. Mm-mm-mm. Not at all. Paul, apostle, not from men. Now here's the not from men, individual experience, nor by man system. Flesh, not from fleshly self, or man fleshly system of thinking how to function properly without Christ, for God. (laughs) But by, but separated from both, right? Fleshly lying experience and a system designed by man that's not of God, separated but by Jesus Christ and God the Father that raised him out of the dead. You know how many times you're going to raise us out out of a dead experience? Sleep, oh God. You know, you know. sometimes when we want to quit and you can't do anything, you get so tired, all you want to do is sleep. Come on, right? You know, I can't handle this. Just let me sleep, will you? And that's when we love to have others around too, right? Mm-hmm. Not so. And all the brethren with me to the assemblies of Galatia, grace to you. Boy, when we receive that grace, that we don't deserve. And that's where the revelation of promise is functioning through its grace. You're going to have peace. And only peace can come from God the Father who gave us his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Son gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us out of the present evil age according to the will of God and the Father. See why it makes it so necessary? us to submit our will makes it so necessary because if we don't we're just going to function in the evil of this present particular time period that we're in to whom be what to whom be the glory unto the ages of the ages amen i wonder that thus quickly you are being removed from him that called you into christ's grace to a different gospel the gospel of the flesh in the Christian, the gospel of the system, that, and we can blame the system. And I did that for a long time until finally I had to realize it was my flesh. <laughs> it was just my flesh. that appear, And the system appeals to it. Here, keep trying. You can't do it, but keep doing it anyway. Well, which is to a different gospel, which is not another which is not another gospel, which is nothing else. 
But there are some that trouble you and desire to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's the system of man. But even if we are an angel, why does it say an angel? Well, you know, where do those projections come from? Hmm. And a whole invisible host that comes against us. How you doing? And we don't need to submit to him. God. I mean, they're just as real. I don't know. You believe you're going to heaven? You ever seen it? It's real. Is it invisible to your sight right now? Yes. Is it real? It is. Is Christ real? Is God real? Can't see him, but is he real? He's real. So what is reality? What we see? How we feel? No. No. But even if we are an angel out of heaven, preach to you, contrary to what we preach to you, accursed, anathema, accursed, accursed let him be. As we have said before, now, now also again I say, if one is preaching to you contrary to what you receive. Now, could the enemy, when we get in the flesh and away from him, preach to us another gospel? Can he? Does it all day long. Yeah, and it's called doubt. Doubt God. Doubt God, because, all right, now you doubt him? Yeah, how do you doubt him? Based upon what you see, that's your present reality. Where do you think those thoughts come from? Where do I think they come from? Well, it's contrary. It's contrary. It's against Christ in you, <laughs> and you trusting him. Okay? Let him be a curse. As we said before, now also again I say, if one is preaching to you contrary to what you received, a curse, let him be. For am I now conciliating men or God? Am I? Some would say pleasing. Really, it's conciliating. That's the proper way, by the way. That's the proper word. Am I seeking to conciliate? In other words, am I seeking to get myself right with God apart from Christ through my own thoughts and feelings? Am I doing that? God. Well, for if I'm now conciliating men or God, or do I seek to please men? Now, if I want to please another man, if I do, okay, then all this is telling us is, is that I, right now, my experience is the flesh. And I want that, I'm seeking that man there to please me. And boy, if he doesn't. <laughs> do you see the setup of the enemy? Oh, God. <laughs> He's setting us up for what? You look to others, you are discouraged. Hmm. Okay, I don't need them. It's just me. Yeah, stay there long enough and see how disappointed you'll be. Any of us. It's all about a personal experience with Christ based upon a revelation and a promise. For if any longer I were pleasing men, of course, you know, and we want to blame them, but all we're trying to do is use them to please us. <laughs> Christ's bondservant, notice there's a bond. It's in, it's, it's, you can't break that bond positionally. But the lie tries to break it experientially. Christ's bondservant I should not be. 
But I let you know, brethren, that the gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. He's saying that. It wasn't according to me at all, because we go back to 1-1. It was, it was not from men nor by men. Right? It was preached by me. It's not according to men. For neither received I it from what? Man, what do I receive from the flesh? What do I think I can receive from someone else apart from Christ? Oh, boy. This is identity. This is individual intimacy, identity, gosh, image, proper place, proper worship. For neither received it, uh, received I it from man, nor was I taught it, but by what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to stop there. Who? The revelation. Who is the revelation? Who is the promise where all those promises are fulfilled? Who fulfilled every one of those promises? Who fulfilled all prophecy, all types? Who fulfilled everything Christ did? Where is he located now? Send me. Has he taken care of every single thing about me for all eternity? Somehow he's not doing it in time, right? Yeah. Just know, just know that we're going to have experiences on, on our way to see him face to face, on our way to our promised land. Notice why they call it the promised land? Because there's a promiser there who fulfilled it all. And we're on our way to an intimate face to face meeting with him. But he's training us right now in intimacy. Poof. And what a place that's going to be. There wouldn't be a promised land without a promiser. There wouldn't be a promise without a proper revelation. And a revelation is God manifesting and revealing the truth about who he is manifested through his son in an individual way. He said, I was taught but by revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is why as we close this morning, that is why even when we hear the word of God, when we hear it, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul said, I thank God that when you heard the word of God, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which works continuously in you effectively because you depend on him and believe in him. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled by what you see, by what you think you have to do. Oh, what I have to do. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither be afraid. Do you believe in God? Do you? Well, believe in me. Believe in me. You believe in God? It solves all the problems of what? Creation. You believe in Jesus? It solves all the problems of redemption and a proper image and a proper life. We're on our way and we're being instructed right now. Through these things that we pass through. Is he going to leave us? If it isn't this thing, we thought it was. And if it's not in this thing and it fails by sight, did God fail us? Will he leave us? Will he ever forsake us? He never will. He'd have to do his good. I don't know. Can, can Christ forsake himself? <laughs> He's not going to forsake you and I. So, Father, thank you for this truth this morning. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.